Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale April 6, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Jasmine, you were just unboxing your new Marvel Legends binary figure. So excited. Um, I've been waiting for it for forever. It was an exclusive. It was only dropped at Walgreens. Finally got it alongside my Quasar. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm very happy galactic marvel legends collector right now it's been a fun month yeah so so much cool stuff coming to marvel legends and so much cool stuff coming to marvel comics because this is the official marvel podcast for marvel comics where we run you through every new marvel comic this week and you know something i wanted to make sure we reminded everyone that jasmine and i make our own picks we tell you what we love the most because every character is someone's favorite character. Mm-hmm. So every book is someone's favorite book. May not mm-hmm. be yours, may not be mine, but there's going to be someone out there who gets super excited for something. And we want to make sure we remind them it's out this week. Does that sound good, Jazz? It does. I used to have a, a film professor who would always remind us, like the class, that every movie has something to look for and watch. Mm-hmm. It might not exactly. be something that you're into, but you, you can always find something. And that's usually what I gravitate towards when I'm reading comics. Well said. Uh, So we're going to run you through all those new books. We're going to tell you what's hitting Marvel Unlimited from the new books on the service, as well as new Infinity Comics. We'll tell you what collections are on sale this week. And then, boy, oh boy, we're going to get into a wonderful reading club this week. Jasmine, who are we talking with? We are talking to Sam Maggs about Captain Marvel in Pursuit of Flight by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Dexter Soy and Emma Rios. This is the very first arc of Captain Marvel from the real introduction of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. Previously, she was known as Ms. Marvel, but now Captain Marvel. Which is now 10 years ago, which is wild to think about. Um, We we do get into talking even more about Captain Marvel as a whole with Sam. And so, well, even uh, I talked to Palomind artist David Lopez, who had an amazing stint Mm. on Captain Marvel comics. I got some great quotes from David that we'll uh, we'll talk about later on in the show. But we got to get things rolling with our first pick of the week, which is Devil's Reign number six. It is here. It is the end, the big bombastic finale of the Marvel Comics event, Devil's Reign. It is a largely Daredevil event with Daredevil and Kingpin and their struggles at the core of everything, but it really engulfs so much as you've seen if you've been reading um, the series, reading the tie-in books. It's hit the X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Thunderbolts, and so much more. Um, It is written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Caquetto, colors by Marcio Meniz, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a tough one to talk about, though, because (sighs) I don't want to give anything away. No. So many giveaways, but wow. Yeah. Core things in here that I really dug. The Wilson-Fisk-Typhoid-Mary relationship, Mm. which has deep roots going back almost 40 years, as we previously, in an old reading club with Chip Zdarsky, even touched on a little bit during the Anasenti and John Romita Jr. run way back in the day. Um, And it comes back full force here, but it's I think Chip does such a great job of cementing them as a a couple with flaws and living in a world that is dangerous for them because of them, but also finding love and sort of solace in each other, which is really difficult. And how that plays out throughout this issue is definitely something special and brought a, a real big smile to my face. And on the flip side of that, you have Electra and Daredevil, yeah. actually kind of both Daredevil, right? Yeah. Um, in here and their relationship and what they've gone through. There's a, a conversation that the two of them have in this issue. I was like, 
oh hell yeah yep I know it's exactly super sweet but it's yep. also like you start to hear like a drum beat and then the the chords pick up and it's like the music is starting to play and like they just literally and figuratively jump off the rooftop into the mm-hmm. next adventure and it's like hell yes so good if you are a fan of Kilgrave, aka the purple man which i don't know that anyone should be yeah, a fan say, of like, mm-hmm. right if you are familiar with Kilgrave, aka the purple man <laughs> then there's a lot to chew on in this issue if you're a luke cage fan there's some really rad stuff in here if you like seeing street level marvel action boom you got that if you have been reading daredevil for the last gosh three years it brings in stuff from the very beginning of Chip and uh, Marco's run and and sort of ties things up and pushes things ahead. It is something that I think is really important is it felt like it stuck the landing. Yes. It proposed this big story and big, cool crossover action, adventure, high stakes drama. And it actually achieved all of its goals from my read through and really dug it. All right, well, moving on to my first pick of the week. It is Spider-Punk number one, and it's written by Calamitous Cody Ziegler, Jammin' Justin Mason on art. We have Colors by Jumpin' Jim Charlotte Pettis, and Letters by VC's Tactical Travis Lamb. Mm. I know we're b- both big fans of Cody Ziegler. This issue, it's so kinetic, and it just, from the jump, just dives right into the action. It's very in media's res you immediately get introduced to this new world in like two pages. You kind of figure out what's going on. There are all these new characters, but they're all familiar, right? Like this is Mm -hmm. a different universe and we're getting introduced to new variants of characters that we love. And that's the thing that I really liked about this is that the character and like who they are a variant of, they still kind of have some of the same personality traits, but we get a little bit of a variety in like their background and like what their beliefs are. We have Captain Anarchy instead of Captain America. We have Riri Williams, who's like hardcore punk tech genius, almost more of a like Tony Stark figure where she is more like the brains behind the spider gang, Yeah, um, which they keep making fun of in this book. The thing that I always look for when I look at these types of books that take place in like alternate realities is you want to know that the book matters, right? Because it's not the same 616. You want to know like, okay, how does this affect everything? And this book hits that. Like you immediately start caring about certain characters. You start wanting to see certain things and the way that these characters interact with other people in the background is amazing. You meet, like there's so much that you can chew on while you're flipping through this book. I had to read it twice because I didn't catch things before. I think to your point of all these different elements, Cody and Justin and the crew are really great at world building. That's yes. what it comes down to. Yes. But also like the art is so gorgeous in this book. Like it's very mm-hmm. bold. It's very much in line with the theme of like this book. If you're a fan of this character, Spider-Punk as coming out of the Spider-Verse, it very much takes place after all of this. So like, they don't forget that that threat happened. So like, they constantly are giving Hobie Brown like for being a multiverse hero. That felt very real too Mm -hmm. of like, you know, he just casually like drops it in his conversations, which is something that we all do Mm -hmm. of like things that we've done or things that we experience. And then his friends are like, shut up. We don't yeah. care. You're still the same dude that we hung out with before you went off and, and hung out with all your spider friends across yeah. the universes. They're like, all right, calm down here over the multiverse. Like, chill. Yeah. It's great. Also, the variant covers. Oh, my gosh. So many. So, so great. And I want to quickly shout out Maria Wolf's cover because oh. I just found out that Maria Wolf's a Chicago native. And oh. if you go to Challengers, you actually can get signed copies of her nice. variant covers, which is awesome. Or Challengers neither. is a comic shop in Chicago. Yes. Um, also 
the last page had a design that like I immediately said to our pal and editor of the series, Danny Kazam. I was like, that's like one of my favorite character designs in recent memory. I will just say for any of you punkers out there, it includes a devil lock. Leave it at that. I don't know what that is, but I know. Because, you know, it's fine. I'll explain it to you afterwards. But we got to get into our third pick of the week, which is X-Men Red number one, which had Jasmine and I texting each other about its glory last night because I read it. And I'm just going to say this. The last page of the book, which I will not spoil, but because of the art, because of the dialogue, the setup, every piece of it, literally, honest God, made my toes curl when I got to the page. This is something special here. X-Men Red number one is written by Al Ewing, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Federico Blee, letters and production by VCs Ariana Mayer. And holy, this to me, and I love Stefano. Uh, Stefano Caselli is an incredible artist, has been for, gosh, 10 years or whatever, 15 years, been around doing stuff since Secret Warriors and stuff. But this feels like a level up. Mm-hmm. This feels like someone saying, oh, I'm always really damn good. Now I'm going to be even better. Gonna and flex. It's, it is a huge flex throughout like, this. Remember and me? It, Boom. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, one of the things about Stefano's art is that his line work has gotten a little bit thinner mm-hmm. over the years, which I think has really allowed him to get more detail and, and get more emotive and tell stories even better. It's something I've noticed. If you look at his early issues and look at it now is definitely a stylistic change evolution and upgrade. And yeah. so, uh, and then alongside Federico's colors, oh. there's some beautiful stuff because the X-Men red title is also touching upon the fact that a lot of this takes place. Well, all of this takes place on Arako, AKA the planet formerly known as Mars, mm-hmm. which the mutants have taken over and turned into a beautiful, thriving, amazing planet. Wait, before we move on. Yes. You mentioned the title and where that history comes from, but I want to just say that this this book for my Swifties will be known as <laughs> X-Men Red, in parentheses, Aurora's version. I know I don't you know. don't get that reference, Ryan. See? Something to do with I Taylor do, Swift? I can bring up cool things and genres of music that you don't know. This is a, officially a request. Taylor Swift, come on the show. We'll talk about some comics together. I would Maybe. Die. We'll even talk about John Proudstar oh, uh, in here, yes. who has a moment where he hits Vulcan, a.k.a. Gabriel Summers. Doing the, absolutely the best thing possible. He says to him, thought you were a Krakoan royalty. Whatever. Sorry I didn't catch you last time, big man. I'd have snapped your pencil neck when I had the chance. And he hits him with a like a table, and it is freaking rad. The way he deals on the Summers family, the whole conversations, there's like little bits and pieces. I love the way Al writes Cable in here, where he's like, this is my Uncle Gabe. Yeah. He's kind of the worst. Maybe I should bring him to death. Like, there's just the little relationship things that are going on in here. We get the Great Ring of Araco, which is sort of the ruling group in this society here, where Aurora sits, aka Storm. She has an amazing place. We've got Abigail Brand in here, who, if you were reading the sword book, has a lot of secrets. If you oh, yeah. have not read Sword, which Al also wrote, get on your Marvel Unlimited right now. Hell yeah. And that also ties into one of the other books that we'll be talking about later today. So yeah. definitely recommend you read that. All right. Those are our three picks. And as I mentioned, our favorites, those are the books that we ride or die for this week. 
but we still want to give awards to all of our other books. And as is our tradition here on the show, we pick an award name based off of a quote from one of the comics that we read this week and uh, get into it. Jazz, explain it a little bit more. Uh, last week, we had the Why Should I Hide Who I Am Award, um, and that was inspired by Captain Marvel number 37. Very heartfelt book. I love that issue. Um, but I did want to shout out our winners this week. We had a tie. Like we were talking seconds apart from each other. One was via email, one was via Twitter. Karis Pollard, she found where the name came from in Captain Marvel number 37, as well as Michael Eisenstein, who emailed us about one, thanking us for the pronunciation of 10 lives of Wolverine and X deaths of Wolverine, and also with a picture of the award name and where it came from. So congrats to both of you guys. Yeah. I also wanted to read a little bit from Michael's email. Uh, he says, I also really liked hearing more from Tom and you both about the new Avengers Illuminati run in Marvel Comics. All these reading club episodes, especially with a backstory on what goes into making Marvel, like Tom explaining he had to keep his own timeline of events to keep Brian Michael Bendis in check, was amazing. And in reference to the award quote, he says, Kelly Thompson is amazing, especially for her bringing more depth to two of my favorite Marvel heroes, Kate Bishop and Natasha Romanoff. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Also wanted to give a shout out to one of our dedicated listeners here, Palamide, at Mr. Titanium 18 on Twitter, aka my pal Gene. Gene has a bone marrow donor lined up for Cinco de Mayo. So uh, just coming, what is that, a month and change, a month away? Wow. We're thinking about you. We're pulling for you. Yeah. Gene. Sending you all the good vibes. So what do we have for this week, Jasmine? All right. You ready for this one? This one's going to be a little bit long, not that long, probably about the same length as the last one, but it's about the length of a Matthew Rosenberg title for a comic book, a storyline or a series. Matthew, if you're listening to this, please write this book. The award name for this week is the I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish Slurpee today award. Which is real good. As always, we want you, dear listeners, to find this quote, screen cap it, and tweet it to both at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you are the first, give or take, uh, I'll hook you up with something fun. It'll be great. Yeah. Again, that's the I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award that we'll be giving out as well to the rest of the floppies this week. Yeah, which we should dive right into. Um, my gosh, uh, this is one of those weeks we have them very often where we are just chock-a-block full of really great comics, books that we're like, we should pick this, we can't pick this, we can't give all of them all the love, but Black Widow number 15 would get one of our picks if we were doing more. It is so good. It is a Kelly Thompson jam. We just talked about her, but the, the creative team here, I will say this is part six of six of Die by the Blade, the big story with the living blade, who is just a terrifying villain. A really cool addition to the Marvel Universe. But it's also the final issue of this run of Black Widow comics. It's so heartbreaking. We both had that reaction. I had no idea. When I I flipped the last pages of this issue, I was devastated. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) It goes out with a bang. Uh, There's so much that happens in here. It wraps up a whole bunch of threads, but keeps you wanting more. All of your favorite Black Widow supporting characters are in here. Natasha gets so many amazing moments. Yelena is in here doing all the Yelena bits hurt like quotes. She's among the most quotable characters we have nowadays. It's just Mm -hmm. really fantastic. It is brutal. It is action packed. It is heartfelt. It is something special. It wraps up 
my favorite run of Black Widow comics ever, probably. Oh, easily. I mean, I told Kelly this. I was like, Rucka was always my favorite, had my favorite Black Widow run, and she topped that. And oh, I love this book so much. My I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award goes to Yelena in here uh, for a quote where she goes, at least I did get to shoot at civilians. And uh, Aranya says, well, that's a plus. And Yelena goes, definitely. Definitely. It was so good. I want more Yelena and I want more Anya. Like Anya is one of my favorite characters and like their chemistry was great. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Captain Marvel annual number one. And I immediately want to give my I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to Thorin Grumbeck, who is a friend of the show. I know she's probably listening. Hi, Thorin. Uh, But I want to give her... (laughs) this award because this is the first time she's taking a crack at a a captain marvel story and it's a complete one-off issue it's the annual so like you know you're gonna get the beginning and middle and end all wrapped up nicely in one issue but also we get the return of bean if you remember her from earlier in the run and we get to see where she's at with the star jammers in this book i'm sure many parents do this but like i call Catherine jelly bean bean Mm -hmm. you know like it's just a it's a cute little nickname yeah love being all right we've got to move on to fantastic four number 42 which is another part of the reckoning war it's a lot of fun again this is i love this series i love what you know dan slot's able to do coming together with collaborators and really finishing a story he's been dying to tell for almost 20 years mm-hmm. uh as he's pulling in threads from she-hulk so we see shulky in here we've got lots of characters but i want to give my i'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to uh, dan and artist rachel stott for there's a sequence in here in which ben Grimm, the thing gets angry and it is depicted oh in particularly across three panels where one Ben's eyes open wide, but his pupils are so tiny. And there's this, like, you can feel the rage. And it's like, if you had the music from Kill Bill, that like, yes, exactly. You know, right? it's that moment. And then the next panel is him closing his eyes. And the next panel is them opening up again. And you can tell, even though it's a really deep close up on his face, his brow is furrowed. And he is so furious. That feeling of anger is so palpable in this issue in this page i absolutely loved it and i'm not going to give away why he's angry but no but the way that like dan crafts his story in this issue he doesn't hold any punches at all in this and it's devastating and you immediately get angry at the book but then like you realize how genius of like a narrative device it was he's really good at hurting my favorite characters though (laughs) yeah all right, next up we have Marauders number one. This is the first issue in the new Marauders run by Steve Orlando and Eleonora Carlini. And the thing I want to give my I'm not planning to become a jellyfish slurpee today award to is like Steve's fandom like shines. He knows the X-Men. As you read this book, you can tell that he's done the homework. Like he's been reading X-Men forever. And like the, the way he shapes the conversations between certain characters the way he, you know, explores some of these characters like past traumas and their connections to one another is just fascinating. Like he knows what threads he's pulling on and it's much more than just like what's at the surface level. So I'm very excited to see where it goes from here. All right, let's get on to Moon Knight number 10. Everybody is in Moon Knight mania right now. Uh, and so you should definitely be picking up this book. 
This one is chock-a-block full of cool stuff. It's in uh, Moon Knight having a conversation with this therapist. And mm-hmm. then, like, it spins out of all that. Uh, I want to give my I'm Not Planning on Becoming a Jellyfish Slurpee Today award to two things. Two characters that Jed McKay, the writer, and, and the crew bring into this issue. One of them is a very obscure character who first appeared in a Spider-Woman comic and is only ha- shown oh. up, like... Half a dozen I know, times. I know exactly who you're talking about because oh, yeah. this threw me down a rabbit hole. Oh, right. Um, and I remember seeing this character like a couple years ago, but it's it's wild. I will not give it away because it's kind of crucial to the story. Right. But then the other character that shows up is Rutherford Winner, who was a character that uh, Jed McKay wrote and created for the Daughters of the Dragon book, the one that we recently did on a reading club alongside Jed. And so seeing Jed able to bring Rutherford into this world and how he fits into this storyline and just the emotional grist around that character is tremendous. This book continues to be surprising and weird and fun. And like, it feels like it's building in all the best ways possible. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of like rabbit holes, um, this next book, She-Hulk number three, also sent me down one but for a completely different reason so there's a women's history month cover that's done by jen bazadua and gwenelle daligal and in it it's an homage to the late rbg it's she hulk as the notorious jsw i didn't know she hulk had a middle name and i immediately wanted to know what the s stood for did you know what the s stood for i do not okay i went down a rabbit hole and found out there's only one instance where they refer to her middle name and her middle name is sue and it's only in one single issue of avengers where it gets mentioned and it also so happens to be the same issue that is referenced in this book between jack of hearts and she hulk it's one of the issues where jack of hearts like steals her powers essentially or like absorbs the gamma radiation so i found that that like connection really cool i wanted to give my award to rainbow Rao, the the I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award because not only does she pull from previous She-Hulk books, but it's like it's almost like she's picking her favorite aspects of different runs from previous writers and then just combining them all together, including John Byrne's like meta-ness, because there's a conversation in here where she doesn't necessarily break the fourth wall, but she is playing off of like storytelling like meta-narrative stuff and like she's contextualizing it on the page and it like there's like a real in time like reboot of like a certain character in this book where they're trying to explore their past and trying to like figure out who they are and it's kind of funny that that you're hearing this conversation versus it just being done off page and for that i commend her that's hard it is it is all right let's talk about star wars bounty hunters number 22 i will give my i'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to a big awesome splash page towards the end where you get to see a bunch of characters with their backs kind of against the wall and then boom this big splash page and how they get out of their mess it's a fun moment i do want to give a quick shout out to kira in that issue though because she's looking fab as always i love kira All right, moving on. The next book is Strange Number Two. And when the first issue of this book came out, I was all about it. I was praising it. And I was like, I don't know how they're going to follow it up in this issue. But there is one scene that I'm going to give my the I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to one specific moment in this book that made my jaw drop where Clea uses her portals in a very creative way. Like, I did not see that coming. And 
She ruthless, man. You read the last issue and you saw that massive reveal at the end. It has to do with that person and their magic hammer. And I, that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil it. But wow. Like ruthless is like putting it lightly. All right. It is clobbering time with thing number six. This one is, this is a big culmination to this limited series. Um, I, I got to give a couple awards here. A couple of my I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today awards dishing out on the art side. One, we've got an incredible variant cover by Mamu Dasrar showing Thing, Ben Grimm, in profile, just looking big and swole and amazing, holding a sandwich. And I just I freaking loved it. And then I want to give more awards to the artist and colorist team of Tom Riley and Jordi Belair because holy freaking macaroni, this book is gorgeous. You've got Ben Grimm fighting through like this underworld domain for a whole bunch of reasons. We get to see Alicia Masters. This takes place a while ago, so it's obviously before their marriage, but like you see her and what she goes through and she's a total badass in this and she yes. looks so cool. There's a panel where she's posing with this big weapon on her shoulder and hell her yeah. hip is cocked. And I was like, hell yeah, she looks so cool. Uh, there's also this giant splash page where Ben Grimm gets a sense of like the cosmic expanse of the universe that has celestials. It has uh, ego and id and chaos and order and the living tribunal and eternity and the one galactus. above all and uh yeah it's just it's so good galactus and death yeah it's amazing there's some masterful art in here that uh is well worth the price of admission i love that page i immediately took a screenshot of it on our like digital versions and i'm like i'm gonna use this as my background on my ipad now because it's so pretty all right, and next up we have X-Force Annual Number 1. So there are two X-Force books out this week. We're going to be talking about them in this order because I think we both agreed that this is probably the best way to read it. I would read the annual first before picking up issue number 27 um, because they kind of feed into each other. And I think 27 feels a lot stronger after you read the annual because there's a lot more weight added to the argument that's presented in 27. Mm -hmm. But in Annual Number 1, we get Emma Frost just walking into the X-Force like lab, kicks down the door and is like, hey, Beast, we need to talk. And Beast is like, uh-oh. And like he has all right to be like, uh-oh, because it's Emma freaking Frost. And my favorite scene in this thing is like, Beast thinks that he's super smart. He's like, oh, why don't you just read my mind to find out what happens? She's like, no, 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 I want you to tell me. And I'm not even going to just pretend like I, I'm not reading your mind. I'm going to turn into Diamond because I can't read your mind in that way. So now you know that I'm not reading your mind. I want you to tell me the truth. And the discussion that happens there is just fascinating because at the same time that that's happening, Beast has sent out X-Force on a separate mission where they have to collect something. What ends up happening is it's a trap and they all three members of this X-Force team, Domino, Wolverine, and Kid Omega have to find a way out of a certain situation that's pretty much been built for their doom. But I want to give my I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to Quentin Quire, who, above all else, you know, he's about to die, but above all else, he thinks fashion first. And he makes mm -hmm. sure that he has his side glasses on whenever he can. Like he's just like, oh no, danger. Hold on, wait, I'm not wearing my glasses. Gotta turn them back on. Just like, thank you. I appreciate that. 
This dovetails uh, perfectly into X-Force number 27, our last new book of the week, which uh, has at its core a big sort of discussion going on with what X-Force's role is, what their place in Mutant Kind and Krakoa and all this is. Uh, I've been thinking about Hank McCoy, the Beast, a lot, especially Mm -hmm. reading these books this week and thinking about like, there's this thing where people say, as you get older, you get more conservative or whatever, Mm -hmm. if you are more liberal minded or whatever. And it's something I try to keep in mind as I get older and and not be crutchety, but thinking about beast as he's like gotten older, gone through some stuff and seeing his place in the world and how he's become like a very hard line thinker about certain dangerous forces that Mm -hmm. kind um, has to go against and can employ. And it really comes to bear in this issue. And the way it plays out alongside Sage and you've got the Quiet Council and all this stuff. There's a really just Ben Percy writes a friggin great scene with it's all conversational, but it feels very much like characters sparring with words. Like every line is a dagger. Yeah. But that all said, I'm giving my I'm not planning on becoming a jellyfish slurpee today award to the fact that this is just a straight up horror issue. Mm-hmm. And it is scary and it is is messed up and gnarly and how it takes out multiple characters in very gruesome ways. And oh where like the, like the way we see that come to bear in this issue and, and we don't know fully what the threat is. We have, you know, inklings of it and seeing it, but I'm very much excited to read more X-Force ASAP. Also, I want to give my award to Colossus for being the best ally in this issue. He stands up for Sage and is just like, do we have a problem here, Beast? And he just like, shing, turns into like metal again. And Beast is like, no, no, we're good. We're good. I'm like, but good like, job. Isn't he compromised? Maybe. Isn't Probably. he right? Like a Russian spy? And like, every time we shine the spotlight on him, I'm like, damn it, Peter. Why? Why yeah. are you breaking my heart, man? You're breaking my heart, man. Oh. But he was a good ally. He was like, you know, like protect Sage at all costs. Oh. Which is the best. It's so good. It's really good. The Dan like, books right now. Ugh. Continue to rock. You know what else rocks, Jasmine? Infinity, Infinity Comics. Comics. Yeah. Let's talk about some Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. Again, Infinity Comics are vertical scrolling comics. And so this week we have a whole bunch of great new issues for you. Avengers Forever, Infinity Comic number three, Alligator Loki number three. Um, we have X-Men Unlimited number 29, which gets us into a new arc. It's the continuation of the X-Men Green story by Carla Pacheco, Emilio Laiuso, and crew. And then we've got the first issue of a new White Fox Infinity comic by Alyssa Wong and Bruno Oliveira, which is going to be super fun. I'm so excited for that one. I love that character so much. On top of that, we have a bunch of books coming to MU. We have Spider-Man 83, Death of Doctor Strange number four. We have the second issue of Devil's Reign, as well as Timeless number one, um, which kind of sets the stage for this new chapter of the yeah. Marvel Universe. Pretty good. Read it all on Marvel Unlimited. And look, if you're going to go to your local comic shop, maybe you want to pick up some of the collections on sale this week. We've been releasing some new uh, collections of Moon Knight books. So Moon Knight Legacy Complete Collection coming up on a bunch of older books. Moon Knight Legacy, that one, I know, Jazz, you're excited for it. I'm so excited for it. So do you remember Jeff Lemire's run? Mm -hmm. So that was about, what, 14 issues? And that Complete Collection came out a couple of weeks ago. Pick that one up. But this finishes the rest of that run. And that's written by Max Bemis. And he pretty much f- like finishes the rest of that arc. And it's like, it goes back into legacy numbers. And it definitely something you want to make sure you pick up if you're a fan of Moon Knight. 
Yeah. I will also point out, check out Secret Invasion Meet the Scrolls, which has the wonderful Meet the Scrolls limited series by Robbie Thompson and Nico Henriken, uh, along with a bunch of other Secret Invasion e-books that all like if you read this and you have your Road to Secret Invasion um, or Secret Invasion, the I think it's called the Infestation. There's a couple of Secret Invasion mm-hmm. tie-ins that you can read them all together that give you a great picture of the whole of Secret Invasion, which is like my favorite thing ever. So yeah, if, it's, if you want to know who the scrolls are, this is definitely a pickup for sure. Yeah. Who damn scrolls? I don't know. I don't think they know. Mostly because they're taking other people's identities. All right. Let us get into our reading club. Jasmine, who are we talking to? So it's actually you and Tucker. Um, Tucker Marcus. He was a former host of Pullist. Um, I miss that guy so much. But he will be teaming up with you to talk to Sam Max. And Sam is a wonderful writer and creator. She's written some Captain Marvel comics for us uh, that we've done in cooperation with IDW. Um, She's just a true ding-dang delight. So I will be stepping out and let Tucker take it away. Tucker, I hope you're ready to get higher, further, faster. And more? I don't know if that works I'm out. I'm ready to get more. Way. Yeah, get more. <laughs> Isn't That's got to be a song, right? Anyway, we're going to get more here on the show with Sam Mag. Sam, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a million different things that we need to talk about here. To kick us off at the very beginning, we're talking a little uh, Captain Marvel today. Obviously... As a pro, as someone who knows a lot about a lot of things um, when it comes to Marvel, when it comes to comics, uh, what made you pick old Carol? I think that this is my favorite, one of my all-time favorite runs of any comic. This particular run with Carol also really deeply influenced my writing for Carol when I was writing Marvel Action Captain Marvel uh, over at IDW. This was a huge influence on me, but Uh, Carol Danvers has actually always been my favorite superhero uh, way back since the Ms. Marvel days. I have a picture I've posted online before of me in like 2009 when I was in college in my own very shoddily like homemade Ms. Marvel, like a black bodysuit with like some yellow fabric that I double-sided taped to the front in like a lightning bolt shape and stuff. So I was always such a big Carol fan. And when she got this big redesign in 2014, I just thought it was the coolest and best thing for her ever. And I loved that finally everyone else was like getting on board with my like all-time hipster fave, I guess. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this is my favorite one run of my favorite character. I, I can't disagree with that. To me, this is among my favorite runs at Marvel, especially from this period. This like, this kind of yes. typifies a decade for me, like a time period at Marvel of when Kelly Sue DeConnick is firing, like they just had to give her more cylinders. She kept firing on all the cylinders and they just needed more. (laughs) And then you bring in David Lopez and I would let David step on me to walk over like puddles if needed to one, because he is one of the (laughs) sweetest dudes in all of comics and I adore him as a person, but also Mm, top five top 10 favorite current working artists um sam did you have you ever read mystic the yes oh, mystic is the book so good that 
caused me to fall in love with both David Lopez and G. Willow Wilson. And I was like, oh, this is a perfect comic book. This is a book that I wish I could like hit people across the face with and and be like, this is the magic of comic books. And to see David come on and, and pick up with Kelly here and just... It's just incredible. So I'm so glad that that we're here to talk about this today. Same. I'm super excited. And this was, you're talking about like how this really typifies a decade in terms of Cape comics and Marvel comics. I think that's so true because there was really this moment in 2013, 2014, where especially all of the women characters were getting redesigns, you know, Batgirl happened over at DC. And then we had the redesign of Captain Marvel from McKelvey. And then we got Chris Anka's Spider-Woman redesign. And it was just, it was such a moment that for me as a woman in like my mid twenties at that time really said like, these comics are for you. Um, Whereas someone who grew up in the nineties, superhero comics, not, didn't really say that to me as like an eight-year-old girl. You know what I mean? But it was suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, these are made for me specifically to speak to me. Um, there are characters that I can relate to. Carol is like a huge dork who loves Star Wars, um, but is also a badass at the same time. Like I just, I don't know, it, it suddenly felt like these were comics that wanted me personally to read them. And I can't tell you like how much that meant to me as a longtime comics fan. It's sort of hard to believe now. 2014 is still so recent yeah. and the fact that that's when this series came out and the fact that that was only a couple of years after Carol took the mantle of Captain Marvel. You talked about like Chris Anka and Spider-Woman. I, I think a healthy proportion of that is probably up to just like the suit design, which is so instantly iconic. It's just pretty amazing. And I think it just, is such a testament to the creative team, obviously led by Kelly Sue in these early days of establishing this character, of putting this character right on top of the mantle across the Marvel universe and and making it all just make perfect sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And this was the Carol core was born out of that and this whole new fandom of like predominantly gals, like a lot of dudes too, but a lot of gals who hadn't really had a space for themselves in comics before or in comics fandom where they felt really welcome that sprung up. And then all of a sudden you had all the merch with the, this new iconic, like Captain Marvel logo on it that I still like, I have my purse and like my little sweater and all that stuff, but it's still so easily identifiable. And it really made it part of the canon in a way that I think is so cool and valuable. There's a lot of stuff going on in this arc. Having also reread recently the original relaunch where Carol takes on the mantle of Captain Marvel and you know reestablishes who she is and where she is in the Marvel universe, that to me was a perfect textbook, if you will, to give to someone on how to redefine a 50-year-old character, make them fresh, make them fun, make them something incredibly special and new, show why they're or they've been around for 50 years and then move them forward. And then this takes all that and says, all right, we flex those muscles. Now let's, as the, the title implies, let's, let's go higher, further, faster and do more with all of that. And I think it's, it just, it's so good. I hate it. It's so good. It drives me nuts. It's so good. And it's so funny. Um, one of the, the things I love about this run is Kelly Sue can write comedy really, really well. 
And it works exceptionally well when her artist is someone who takes that and, and really elevates it. And David's art is so emotive. His acting is so spot on. The work that he does with an, a raised eyebrow or a lip movement or subtle body language or over-the-top slapstick comedy of like two dudes like running into each other and there's a big bunk and then you see Carol in the background with her arms folded. It's it's up and down just friggin' great. It's really good. He's also not afraid to make Carol like kind of ugly sometimes. Like there's a lot of moments where she's just shrieking and it like transforms her whole face into like this mask of anger where you can tell that he's not worried about making her beautiful necessarily in that moment, which again, I I love to see in this because the whole comic is so the opposite of like pandering girl boss feminism (laughs) that it, it easily could have been in the wrong hands. Like Carol is complex and she is not without flaws and she bends the knee to people who are smarter and better than her. And she is able to recognize that. And yeah, she has this very like dry sense of humor, which is at times deeply messed up. (laughs) Um, And I think that's great. Like, I just, I love that. I love um, every single moment between Rocket and Chewie, her cat as well in all of these comics is speaking of like funny, that's gold. And this run, it sets up the whole, like uh, Rocket spends the whole time being like your cat's an alien. God, I remember the issue where that finally comes out that Chewie really is a flirkin just being like this is the best comic I've ever read <laughs> oh my god I, I'll never read anything better than this I know I, I want to go back to one thing we were talking about your point about the way that David draws Carol um hmm. and I think it's it's partially the way I look at it is there's a European sensibility and a Spanish sensibility a- around his art because David is from Spain and you you think of some of the other great Spanish artists, especially at the time, David Aja immediately comes to mind of like doing giant, big tentpole superhero books, but don't look like your traditional superhero artist necessarily. Obviously, David mm-hmm. can do superheroes with the best of them, and he does, but he also has that like wide swath of life and feeling in his characters. And he, he gives them a huge range of, of feelings, looks, emotions, body type, everything there feels just different from maybe like, you know, really buff and amazing, tall, wonderful, super swole men and women. They're, they're here, but it's also, you've got everything else on every single page. And he, he has a way of, of bringing that all to the fore. He also does an amazing job of how further, faster, more is a a volume that's very much about an ensemble and a new ensemble between um, Tick and Gil and Jackie, B, that whole little gang. And every silhouette of each one of those characters is so distinct and unique and unusual and intriguing. Just their character design tells you so much about each of their stories that even though these are new characters being introduced for the first time in this run, it feels like you immediately know so much about them just from like one or two lines from Kelly Sue and their character design from David. It's a real masterclass in like how to assemble a team in a comic, I think. Mm. I want to get to the first time you read Captain Marvel. But before that, Sam, I want to hear about the very foundations of what that experience would have been for you. So growing up, where are you from? 
Were you going to local comic shops? Were you into comics? Were you into X-Men, the animated series? Where did it all start for you? Growing up, I was a huge nerd. My parents were really big nerds. They had seen the original Star Wars in theaters like 22 times in the 70s. So I guess instead of like rebelling, getting into football or something, I just sort of went with it. Um, And my dad was a big Silver Age reader. He still laments to this day all of the comics that he threw out like in the 70s and stuff, which would be, you know, so valuable now or whatever, but which were traded around with little to no thought in like the 60s and stuff. So uh, he was always a big fan, especially a big Spider-Man fan. And so I grew up around it, but it actually wasn't until I got to college, I was taking a media studies class and we started to read graphic novels as part of the curriculum. We read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight and we read Mouse and a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, classics. And from there, I actually discovered Marvel's Runaways, which was the first comic I sort of read for fun for myself. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I know these characters. Like I'm friends with people like this. They look like me. They're like bi like me or whatever. You know, they have the same issues that I do, maybe a, a little worse than me, obviously, with the superhero <laughs> evil parents and stuff. But um, I was just like, oh my God, I get it. And there was this great sense of humor to it. And Brian K. Vaughn is a literal genius and can do no wrong. And Adrian Alfono was from Toronto, which is where I was also living at the time. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I feel connected. When I graduated from college and I moved to Toronto to do my master's degree, uh, moving to a big city for the first time, I was kind of like, oh, you know what? If people don't like that, this is what I like. I think I can find other people who do like that. So shortly after I moved to Toronto, um, one of my favorite comic book stores still, The Silver Snail, could just come to a pub for a night and you drink with a bunch of other comic book nerds. And I was like, cool, I'm going to do this. And I went by myself, which for anyone who is a nerd and an introvert um, knows how horrifying that probably was for me and nerve wracking and know anybody. And I showed up alone and I like immediately had a community. Then I had a pull list and I was at the shop every Wednesday and I was always around and I knew everybody worked there. And it was just like, it became such a great thing and to have that all happening at the same time that like G Willow Wilson's Ms. Marvel started coming out and then this run and then all these other runs that were like, Hey, maybe, uh, people like you read comics. I was just like, this is so dope. And, uh, yeah. Then I was like, I want to write comics like this. So bad. I want to mm. do this so bad. From there, you started to get into making comics. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, I saw you, you've worked on some transformer stuff and as the, our listeners on the show and, uh, my sad co-host and uh, producers know I talk about Transformers a lot because it's it's one of my favorite things. Um, so how'd you start working into <laughs> working on comics of all kinds? My route into comics publishing was kind of roundabout. I'm sure you guys hear all kinds of weird stories all the time, but mine was I published a bunch of nonfiction first. I wrote a book called The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a nonfiction book about basically how to get girls into comics and video games, or like it it was the book that I wished I had had when I was 15 Mm -hmm. um, to say like, it's okay, other girls like this stuff too, and here's where you can find them, and here's the kind of stuff you should get into, including a bunch of comics. Um, And I wrote a couple other nonfiction books after that. I was doing the con circuit. I had always been a big video game fan. I interviewed a video game company and got a job there, so then I was starting to write genre fiction. And through the folks that I knew and who knew my work at that point um, in the comics community, I actually got an email from Sarah Gatos, who was at the time the editor-in-chief of IEW. 
and they were working on a Star Trek anthology comic and she asked me if I wanted to pitch for it and so I did I pitched a story about the first and only female red shirt in Star Trek the original series giving her like a backstory and they let me do it and it's actually still one of my favorite things that I've written to this day and that was the beginning of like a long and happy relationship that I've had with IDW um, since then and IDW were also the ones who after I had done a couple Transformers series with them which was amazing I got to invent a new Transformer it was like the coolest thing of all time (laughs) I can't believe that we do that. Um, I got an email from Megan Brown, an editor at IDW, and she said, hey, we're going to start doing a Captain Marvel series for Marvel Action. Would you like to pitch on it? And you guys know in comics and in any creative industry, you throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall and 95% of it doesn't stick. Uh, 5% of it does, which is the stuff you see get published, but you really, like, it's not good to get attached to any pitch or idea that you have because there's like, pretty good chance it's not going to work out. And I got this email and I was like, oh no, I want this so bad. I was at my day job. It was after hours. I went outside onto our balcony in like Burbank, California. And I got a pad of like regular writing paper and I scribbled out a bunch of notes and typed them up at like 8 PM in my dark office alone and sent it this while I was working on the Spider-Man video game. So I was just like all Marvel all the time at this point. Um, And I sent it and I was like, cool, that'll never happen. But I'm really lucky that I got to pitch on it. And then I got the job and I like still kind of can't believe that I got to do that for the last three years. We did like 12 issues or something. It's amazing. Can you explain that line, the the, uh, Marvel action line real quick, just for any of our listeners? Because they come out from a different company, but I think they serve a really great purpose. Um, And they are available in Marvel Unlimited, but I'm not sure how many of our listeners know that. Oh yeah, they're so great. So the Marvel action comics are published in partnership between Marvel and IDW. And they're essentially an all ages universe for the Marvel comics characters. So if you see the Marvel action line in the title, it means that this is going to be a comic that's, um, you know, the kind of thing that when I was a kid, if I had gone to a comic book store, I would have loved to pick up a Marvel action cape comic. Um, they do Avengers, uh, Black Panther. They've had a now Captain Marvel, obviously lots of cool individual runs that are just like family friendly, kid friendly. But I think also being that they're their own sort of universe, we can have a little bit of fun with what we do with the different characters and how they're presented and stuff. So I had a little bit more freedom not being tied to the old 616, um, which was which was kind of nice. But I love them. They're super, and it's a great, you know, I'm a humor writer primarily. Like my stuff is funny and a little bit goofy and it's a great opportunity to make these like typically very stoic characters. Although to your point, Kelly Sue's Carol is very funny, which is what I love about her. But like, you get to just like do some real goofy stuff with Iron Man, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> He's a big ding dong. So that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and like Ryan said, go read them on Marvel Unlimited. Um, yeah. To that point, re- talking about Carol again and talking about Kelly Sue, let me just read off the credits real quick. This is Captain Marvel 2014. Number one, uh, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by David Lopez, colors by Lilo Ridge and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, Sam, now that, that listeners have a, a solid background for your upbringing in just the nerd world and the comics and all those things. So when did you first pick up this run and were you reading it on a monthly basis when it was coming out? Was it a little bit after that? What was your action as you're picking it up? 
Um, I was so mega hype for issue one to come out. I was reading, you know, I was, like I said, I had a pull list. I was at the comic book store every week. I have, you can't see it on the podcast, but these guys on video can see, I still have my first, uh, run issue number one in it's like bag and board because I treasure it deeply. Um, yeah. So I was like, I had seen the McKelvey redesign on Twitter. Uh, I had written a bunch for a website called the Mary Sue, which was like a, a feminist geek culture website. So I was like really engrossed in all the comic book news. So I knew it was happening and I was just like so excited to pick up that first issue. So I read it. Um, I read it monthly as it came out and I still have, um, yeah, I have all of my like individual issues from that time, like still here, the OGs. So, <laughs> um, I kind of considered reading comics at this time, like my crash course in how to write a good comic. One of the, one of the things I was looking at while we were talking is, um, the time frame when this came out. So this, the first issue of this run came out in comic shops in March of 2014. The full collected edition comes out in October. But the Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy film comes out in April of 2014. So um, it's really interesting because the Guardians play uh, an important part in this first arc. They're sort of side by side with Carol for a couple of issues. The Star-Lord's family and, and his home planet in the comics, the Spartax of it all, plays a major role in this story and the driving force of what Carol gets involved in. And I always find that stuff really interesting. But at the same time, I had to look at this and remind myself that the guardians were here because Carol and this arc and her trajectory feels at this point, like, yeah, maybe it was helpful to relaunch this with the, the spark of the guardians, you know, media blitz. But to me, it doesn't need it. She's, she's so much bigger than like, Hey, teaming up with the guardians. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I specifically remember at the time selling this book to a lot of people as they need an Avenger in space. And so they send Carol to babysit the guardians of the galaxy who can't do anything right <laughs> themselves basically. Um, and a lot of people were like, Oh, I love that. And that kind of was like a great bridge into getting them to pick up a, a book about a character that they maybe didn't know because the guardians were in it and they were very much like a sensation at that time. Uh, so yeah, I, I love crossover kind of info like that. I think it's neat. And I do love Carol's individual relationships with all of the characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy, especially I wish we had more time with between her and Gamora. Um, I love her relationship with Rocket and stuff, but they do kind of come and go pretty quickly and are replaced by like Carol's new, new crew, who I like dearly love and hope we get to see again in the comic. I'd read like a whole Jackie comic, like anytime. If only one of us on this call was a professional comic book writer who has the ability <laughs> to pitch stories to various people. Maybe maybe one day. Maybe one day. This is something I'm often curious about with with writers in particular that we talk to on the show is if the medium that they're working on is really influential on the way they write or how they think about story or, or things like that. Is that something that that you relate to when it comes to comics versus video games versus prose versus whatever it might be? Oh my God, definitely. And I, to your point, I do work across all those different mediums, novels and video games and comics frequently. I'm switching back and forth and absolutely, absolutely. There's a huge difference in the kind of stories you can tell. Uh, when I wrote the Unstoppable Wasp prose novel for Marvel Press, that was a really exciting opportunity because in comics, 
comics are so action focused and you do get, you know, some stories, some heart, but the benefit of a prose novel is that you get to spend a lot of time with like the internal voice of a character. You get to spend a lot of time with like, oh, what does it mean to be a superhero? Like, how does it feel? That's a lot of like internal time that you don't get to spend in a visual medium. In video games, you're very limited by both budget and technology. I said that's so Canadian. By both budget and technology. (laughs) Yikes. It comes out sometimes. I can't help it. Or in comics, I could be like, I would really like to write a story about 18 unicorns. And my artist would be like, wow, I'm definitely never working with you again. But they would also be like, yeah, all right, I'll draw it. Like, okay, and you have your book about 18 unicorns and it's collaborative and it's great and you get it out there and so be it. In video games, I would say, okay, I really want to make a story about like 18 unicorns. And someone would say, okay, well, we actually only have a rig for a goat. So is it okay if the story is actually about 18 goats? And you kind of have to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, okay, that I'm sure it'd be fine. Like, that's fine. I can adjust it. And then somebody else comes up to you the next day and is like, look, the engine can actually only handle like one sprite on the screen at a time. So can it actually about like one goat. And so now your story about 18 unicorns is about one goat. And you're kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, like, sure. But it's very like video games are making something that is actually not about story first. It's about gameplay and fun first. And story is only one part of that. That being said, comics is my favorite medium to write in because it is um, collaborative. It still has that collaborative aspect, but with like a manageable team size. So um, I, I love it. I love making comics. Uh, Sam, this was a ding dang delight talking with you. Um, hopefully we get you to do some more Marvel work. We have you on again to talk about either your more Marvel work or just something else. It was great. I love that. I'm like a big fan of both of you guys. And I've been kind of trying not to like fangirl out this whole time. So thank you for having me. It was such a blast. (laughs) Mutual appreciation time here. You're real Sam. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Big thanks again to Sam Maggs for coming on the show, talking about uh, Captain Marvel comics with us, doing awesome, cool work. Um, And, you know, we were were discussing about um, talking about David Lopez's work on Captain Mm. Marvel and I was able to get some quotes from David about his work on Captain Marvel, which I would love to share with the group. And David said, I didn't want to take the gig at first. I had been trying to be lead artist for X-Men, but it was impossible. Then in one visit to Marvel with Pepe Larraz, Steve Wacker told me I should accept Captain Marvel. I was hesitant. Then Sana told me I really should take Captain Marvel, that I would love the Carol Core. Me, still hesitant. Janine... Janine Schaefer, wonderful former editor of Marvel Comics. Janine told me that I should take Captain Marvel. He's all caps in here. Just, I, I loved He's it. shouting so a lot. I love him. Um, and he said <laughs> that I would love Kelly Sue. I noticed a pattern there. I finally took the book reluctantly. I wrote an email to the team saying that I was coming to the book a bit because uh, people were persistent about it. And then he, he, he says, <laughs> in all caps, what an a-hole I was. I'm editing him for content just a little bit. Uh, It took me just an email to get in the mood. Kelly Sue is fantastic. She gives her everything and you see it. So you give your everything as well. She's very open to suggestions and accepts what you want to contribute with to the story. I mean, she takes suggestions very seriously. She always takes your side in discussions. She's a real team player. And then there's the Carol core. David continues. Carol core were very, I mean, very active online back then. Once it was announced I was going to be the artist on the book, I received a wave of love online. Hundreds of people on Twitter were telling me that I was going to be great and that they were very happy on Twitter. K 
Can you believe it? Also, Captain Marvel was the first book I drew digital. So it was like starting over. David says uh, Marcella, his daughter, was born after I drew issue six. And that's why Marcio Takara took care of the book those couple of issues. It was so jealous. He had some good ones to draw. Like Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps was the first Marvel book that Kelly Thompson wrote for Marvel. And now she writes everything for us. And then he adds one more little anecdote mentioning the moment in the Christmas issue where we see the Tacos Panagos billboard. I will let everyone uh, go find that in the comments. I love that. That was really cool to see. Also, you want to hear something wild about the Carol Corps and yeah. this era of Captain Marvel? Yeah. I actually wrote a, an essay in college because I was in college at the time. And I took a digital media class where I wrote an entire essay on fandom. How fandom is like a community that can also influence story. And like, I love the fact that the Carol Corps exists. If you, dear listener, have written any essays about Marvel Comics, let us know. Email us at pulllist at marvel.com and maybe we'll read about it on the future episodes. That's it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. He's a member of the Brad Brigade, uh, mm-hmm. all of one member, strong, really excited about himself, which, you know what? Cheers to him. Have you seen his merch? It's it's fascinating. Like you would think t-shirts, buttons. Nope. Suspenders. And he sold like four of them, which is I know. To his mom. I know. It's cute. Have you seen the family pictures though? They're all wearing them. Yeah. It's adorable. I know. Hmm. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.